Hello, and welcome to another Meta Media Group production of On Purpose Magazine, featuring interesting, inspiring, educational, and entertaining stories, discussions, and interviews of purpose, with purpose, on purpose. Hello, everybody. This is J.W. Nigerian, and we're here today with uh, author Laura Atchison. How are you doing today? I'm doing amazing. How are you doing, J.W.? I'm doing great. And last time we tried to get this uh, interview together, you had a terrible cold. I felt so bad. I felt really bad, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> Say that flu bug just kind of really knocks you flat on your back. Absolutely. Yeah. Laura, you're you're an author. We met at Author 101. Is that correct? Yeah, we met at Author 101 in 2011. In 2011. And at that time, your book had not been out. It hadn't even been written yet. It hadn't even been written yet. And, um, you know, I, I think it's so exciting because, um, you, you know, I meet uh, many authors who want to be authors there at the, at the event. It's a great event. Uh you know, for, for new authors, for authors that are, have already, you know, written their book, it's a great way to learn how to promote, and that's the big thing. We're going to be talking about that a little bit today. But to find somebody there that really wants to write but hasn't, got, hasn't done it yet and then comes out with a book. And, and an agent. And an, and an agent. Uh, and you actually did publish through their uh through Author 101's publishing, Morgan James, uh, who puts on the show, you actually published through them, I believe. I did. I did. I had an opportunity with um, a couple of agents that I had met that wanted to sign me to send it out to some other publishing houses, mm-hmm. but I just really connected with the folks at Morgan James and thought it would be a great publishing house to go with, so I said yes to them. And the remarkable thing is your book is a bestseller. It's a number one bestseller on Amazon, yes. Yeah, number one bestseller, and you made a few lists. I did. I did, and I'm still the number one top-rated book in women in business, and I've been there for about a month now. Wow. Which is really exciting, and I've been on the bestseller list for women in business since the beginning of November. That's remarkable. It's exciting. It's exciting. For everybody who doesn't know Laura Atchison, uh, she's known as America's Question Lady, um, and she's the author of her new book, What Would a Wise Woman Do? Questions to Ask Along the Way. And your name is actually, you can can find you under Laura Stewart Atchison, A-T-C-H-I-S-O-N. This is your first-time author, uh, but previously uh, Laura used uh, 29-plus years' experience in both Fortune 100 and small businesses to launch and sell her own highly competitive IT company, garnering her recognition and covering from national industry publications and associations as a leading provider of managed technology services. Besides holding numerous technical degrees and serving on multiple charity and corporate boards, Laura holds a master's degree in management and organizational behavior. Her business and life philosophy Gleaned from her diverse experience and lessons learned in the trenches is simple. Treat everyone better than they expect to be treated while collecting and dispensing wit and wisdom to grow along the way and always ask the right questions. Well, first of all, I've gotten to know you uh, over time, and you are fun and witty and very (laughs) extremely bright and full of wisdom, 
And so we're going to kind of jump into some of that today. I just put you on the spot. You go, oh, now I've got to be witty and funny. I know, right? That's so hard. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what's so cool is you started out, you owned a, an, IT, uh, an IT company. And you yeah. ran that company and, uh, and you helped a lot of other companies. Um, so you, you've been out there as a, as a, powerful, a, as a powerful woman. In a uh, in a kind of a man's world, is that correct? Very much so. And when I started the company in 1994, there were maybe a handful of women IT business owners. There was a handful of women in IT, for gosh sake. <laughs> yes, that's also very true as well. And you know, a lot of the women that were in IT at the time were not. They were considered more geeky. They were not women who um, owned businesses. They were software people. They kind of sat in a back room somewhere like the guys were that were in IT at the time. And you know, and that's what was exciting when I started the company. They're all looking at me going, what do you mean you're in IT? <laughs> you don't fit the profile. I'm like, really? I'm a total geek. What are you talking about? <laughs> they're like, but you like people. <laughs> I said, well, you know, geeks like people, too. Most of us just tend to prefer technology because it makes more sense on an everyday basis. I don't know if most women prefer technology, but it, when I went to school and got my degree in uh, uh, electronics and things, there, were very, there weren't very many women involved. And when I was in IT, and my background, as you know, is all, was also in IT, uh, there weren't that many women, though... Uh, the women I did know, I really had a lot of respect for because they uh, were very bright, and, and it took a little more uh, for them to, to do well in that industry. And one of my biggest mentors in IT was a woman, which is always surprising because uh, I worked with a lot of real geeky men. <laughs> well, you know, we weren't really allowed or given a lot of opportunities, shall we say, in the math and sciences when I grew up in the 60s. So if you had, you know, like a love of it or a, a talent towards it, if your parents didn't foster it and you didn't want it so bad that you pushed for it in school, it was very easy to just sort of fall by the wayside. I was very fortunate. I went to the Ursuline School from grades 7 through 12, which is a Catholic uh, girls' school, mm -hmm. and they were big proponents of science and math and technical for women, and I'm fortunate to, the, to this day for having supportive teachers that recognized I had a skill. That's, that's very cool. That's very cool. And um, that kind of segues into what your book is about, because um, what wise women, what, what would a wise woman do, um, questions to ask along the way. Uh, one of the things that... Uh, you found out in being, being in business for yourself and uh, um, trying to grow that business and, you know, and meet your goals and uh, come up with your mission and all the things that you wanted to do and to be successful, you found that you had to write, ask the right questions. So let's kind of get into that. Um, what, what are we talking about when we're talking about questions? Why are there right questions? Why are there wrong questions? What is that all about? Well, what I discovered in my life was that most 
of the time we ask questions to get the answers we want, not necessarily the answers we need. Right. And for me, the right questions are the questions that challenge me when I get answers. They open up new possibilities and new doors for options in our lives. The answers that you get when you ask the right questions always make you a little uncomfortable. They make you have to think. They make you have to stretch yourself. Right. And it's not that there are wrong questions or right questions, but you'll know the best, which I consider the right question to ask, when all of a sudden, like, it just seems like all the doors open and you get that, ah, kind of thing going on and your life just starts to move forward a lot faster. Well, a lot of people, you know, they focus on the answers that they want, that you're saying. So um, they're answering, so you're saying they're, they're asking questions that uh, give them the answers that they want. Right. Can you give me an example of that? Well, I'll, I'll use this one because a lot of people seem to be able to relate to it because it's around relationships. I, I have examples around business and stuff, too. But the first time I ever got married, mm-hmm. I wasn't even dating him anymore. We had broken up, and I had started a wonderful new relationship. And the guy was amazing that I had started dating. But the guy I had previously dated asked me to marry him. And, you know, after being really annoyed at him for waiting until I was dating somebody else before he proposes, the only question I'd asked myself was, do I want to marry him? You would think that that's the perfect question to ask when somebody asks you to marry them, right? Right. And that only has one or two answers, right? Yes or no, or maybe. Right. And I said yes. We got married, and four months after the marriage started, it was pretty much failing badly. We got divorced within two years. During um, the time of trying to kind of keep the marriage together, because in my mind's eye I was a failure if I got divorced after four months, mm-hmm. I started thinking about things, and I had this counselor say to me, well, well, why did you want to get married in the first place? And it was like light bulbs went over all around me, and I realized that I never even asked me why I wanted to get married. <laughs> I really, I didn't. It was just, oh, he asked me. I have to give an answer. I don't have to look at myself first. And when I asked myself, I went from do I want to marry him to why do I want to get married, the answers were completely different. I mean, it's not a yes or a no. It's why. And I realized I had never checked that box off. And in my idea of what success was, I had already had a career, I owned my own home, I had the admiration and respect of my peers, I had positive press, all this great stuff. I was working for Corporate America at that point, Fortune 50 company. And, but I hadn't checked off the box of married, and you weren't a successful woman if you didn't have marriage, and then the next thing would be children. Right. Well, if I had realized that that was the only reason I was saying yes to him, because there weren't a lot of other reasons when I went through the why list, um, I wouldn't have married him. Because I didn't want to marry a man just to check a box off. <laughs> no, that makes sense. Um, and, and that's just one example of how there's a question and then there's a right question that made me feel very uncomfortable when I had to look at it. Right. But it opened up all these other possibilities. So this book is, talks about what would a wise woman do. 
uh, I'm guessing this works for men too. It absolutely does. You can ask the question, what would a wise man do? So let me ask you a question, and that is, so why did you, why did you focus this toward women? I'm a woman. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, it's really funny because when I, the first draft of the book, the agents and my publisher both said was too gender neutral. They said it really applies to everybody, but we think you have a voice that can help women. And 90% of the people who buy books are women. Ah, okay. Do, do you think women need this more? Do you think men tend to ask better questions or no? I think men are willing to ask some tougher questions than women are because they've been raised that it's okay to. And women have so many things going on in their life where they are caretakers or where because of the way they were raised or where they were raised, you were told, don't ask. Just, you have to do this. Yeah, men are kind of brought up to take risks and women, not so much. Exactly. So when the agent, my publisher said, why don't you focus a little more towards women, I went, you know, I've had so many opportunities as women that a lot of women don't get. And I've met a lot of women that didn't have the family that I had, didn't have the education I had, didn't have the opportunities I had. So here was an opportunity to give back and show them that there's another possibility in the life they've had. And they can change it just by asking questions. That's cool. I was going over the book, and uh, one of the things I noticed that was pretty cool, uh, could you break this down into... Um, you know, questions to ask for different things. So what would a wise woman do in relationships, um, in business? What would a wise woman do in personal crisis, in money matters, self-perception, uh, searching faith, uh, planning future? Uh, and at the end of each one of these, I mean, so you're covering all these different great um, gambit, you know, the gambit here. Um, but one of the things I liked was in at, at the end of every one that I found, you have questions to ask along the way, and then you have bullet points. What am, I, what am I asking myself around X? Uh, am I asking the best questions to move me forward and out of where I currently am? Do I know where I want to be? And these are helpful after you get to the end, after you've listened to your stories. And, by the way, you're a great storyteller, so that really helps. I like. Well, thank you so much, David. I like this stuff is really, it could be really dry if you just gave the facts. So I love that you, you tell these things in stories and bring up, um, you know, all kinds of examples. But I love that at the end that you bring up these questions because that's what you're left with. And that is, and that's kind of at the heart of my question, and that is how do you know you're asking the right question? And you kind of touched on it by saying it has to make you feel uncomfortable, but I think a lot of people listening to this will go, that's not enough. Give, give me more. Okay. When I ask myself a question, I end up asking myself multiple other questions. But I like to think of my questioning process in a sort of a visual idea. So let me know if, if this helps out. Think of a, a bundle of wires, you know, that you've taken out of a box or maybe is underneath your desk with all the computer cables that always seem like to turn into a rat's nest, even though you just straightened them five minutes before. Right. So you've got this bundle of wires. <laughs> It's sort of like the Christmas lights, too, you know. I always right. hate dragging out the Christmas lights. Um, so you've got this bundle of wires, and you have to untangle them. The first thing most people do is they find one end, and then they pull. 
right? I don't know if you do that, JW. But yes, most people go, okay, I'm going to pull and find where it finds, and then I'm going to backtrack and and kind of work it to way back through and then start over again. Right. Would you say that's the way most people tend to attack a bundle of wires to untangle it? I think, I think so. Okay. What I do... Is there another way? There is. <laughs> Which is amazing to me that people don't think that there's another way, <laughs> other than the Gordian knot theory, which is to take a knife and cut right through it. Right. Because I want to be able to use my bundle of wires afterwards. Right. Okay. I look at it, and I see that one end. But I also see there's another end, and I go, I want to get to the other end, and I want to get to the other end as fast as possible with as few as detours or stops or reroutes. So before I pull on that first end, I look and see where there are spots along the way that may cause a tighter knot to happen because that can happen when you just pull. Knots can get tighter. Right. So if you look at it in terms of questioning, are, are you, is it making sense so far? Are you getting kind of a visual in your head of that bundle? Mm-hmm. So before I pull, I look at that bundle as where I want to go in my life or my business or my faith or whatever the, the question may be. Before I pull, I ask a question in my head, and I go, what are three possible answers to that question as I ask myself or somebody else? So I'm kind of thinking through what are the possible answers to the question, or I ask them, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, I've asked the question, gotten three answers. I go, eh, you know, those answers just are not moving me forward. Okay, start with a new question. What are three possible answers to that question? If you get to the point where you can't think of an answer at all, then you know that you need to bring somebody else in who can give you new knowledge. This is even before you've pulled because you know you don't have enough knowledge to answer your own question. Right. Okay. Next thing, once you've got three answers and you go, okay, two of them, they're yes or no answers. I'm not asking a really good question. Let's ask another one. Ooh, that answer makes me really uncomfortable in that I may not want to do it, because it takes me out of my comfort zone, makes me have to work harder than I'm working, or maybe stop what I'm doing and try something else, then I go, all right, that's my answer. Once I have that answer, what's the next question I want to ask from there? And what are three possible answers? And I do that multiple times before I even pull on the cord. Once I find a series of questions that will take me further in the opening of the bundle of wires, that's when I actually ask the question. Right. So I'm doing all this very quickly, very rapidly. And the more you do it, the more attuned you get to it so that you're able to very quickly process through possibilities. Well, this is really interesting because one of the tenets of success, um, and you both of us coming from IT, when you're trying to find answers to issues, What seems to happen is, uh, or what I've learned is that 90% of people, and I'm just throwing that out, that number out, <laughs> it, it, a large, the larger majority of people tend to ask yes and no, black and white questions about something they want to do. And so what happens is they get the 
the yes or no answer, and they move and they they move on because they you know, because they can't. There's nothing to figure on. And I was taught that you had for every issue that you have, you want to come at it from 360 degrees, and you know ask try to find the ten, five, ten, twenty questions to, or, or possibilities. And this always makes you more, more creative and can give you a lot more answers to your issues. A lot of the problems that we have, are we don't, I think you're right, we don't ask the right questions or we don't ask enough questions at least. Is, am, am, am I kind of hitting on it the same way or no? Yeah, you are. I mean, when I had my IT company, I used to go into potential clients or existing clients all the time. And I found I like to focus a lot on the business owners or the CEOs of the companies because I had a lot more fun there. Mm-hmm. But I enjoyed, you know, just sometimes I didn't have enough engineering staff, so I'd actually have to go in and crawl under a, net, a desk and hit that rat's nest and try to, you know, figure out a problem. But what was fun for me was instead of them saying, well, Laura, we just need to order another computer, I would start asking them why. And they always got their backs up a little bit. I don't know if you've noticed this, but people do not like to be asked why. No, they've usually come, when you come into the meeting, they've already got all their answers. They're, they're, and so you have to ask the right questions. And if you ask the question that uh, uh, goes up against their answer, you're going to get them nervous. Yeah, and I feel it's my responsibility as their consultant and, and their vendor partner to make sure that whatever solution we put in is really the right solution to help their business move forward versus a patch or a fix. Right. And, and my favorite conversation was always, oh, Laura, I need a new computer. Okay, why? Well, just because. And I go, well, I know what your network looks like. I know what your environment looks like. All the computers are actually in pretty good shape or you're hiring a new employee. And sometimes we'd get, yes, we're hiring a new employee, and I'm like, oh, okay, business is that great? And they're like, well, we just seem to be over capacity for what we're doing. And I'd look at them and I'd go, really? Because, you know, like I kind of know what's going on in the network. And I'd convince them to let me put in some tools that would let me analyze um, Internet behavior and computer usage as to what people were actually doing on their computers. Nine out of ten times, they didn't need a new computer. What they needed is employees who actually worked. <laughs> right. And I remember one client who agreed to let me do this. The guy really wanted to get new computers, and I put in this device that analyzed the Internet usage. Well, it showed that there were three employees that spent less than half their day working. They were actually checking personal email looking for jobs elsewhere. One was gambling. Um, another one had some pornography issues. Mm-hmm. And they were doing this all in company time. Yeah, that happens a lot. So I said to him, look, I'll give you a new computer, but I think you might want to look at your personnel issues. Well, he addressed the personnel issues, got rid of an employee, lockdown internet usage, and all of a sudden, he didn't need a new computer. Productivity went up over 60% because the rest of the employees were really annoyed that they were working so hard when they knew these employees weren't working. Right. All because I asked why. 
Yeah, and this goes along with the one you did for your for your marriage, and is that question that you not should I you know do you want to get married? Yes or no? Yes or no? It's asking yourself those questions like, do I want to get married? Yeah, do I want to get married? Absolutely. And why? And you know how little five-year-old kids ask why constantly? And they ask it at least five times mm-hmm. before the parents really get frustrated and go, because. Right, isn't that like the parent's famous answer after so many times, because, or because they said so, or because I'm the mommy or I'm the daddy, right? Right. So I encourage my clients to ask why of themselves five times before they move on to their next choice. I want them to look at how they're responding and making choices. Because if you understand why you're making the choices you're making, you can immediately begin to ask better questions. Most people make choices. um, In my book, I talk about something called the Spock point, the experience point, and the reality point. Mm -hmm. I'm a huge Star Trek fan. I'm a total geek, you know, sci-fi, all of that stuff. And most people tend to make choices from the experience point. So, like, the Spock point is you're trying to make a decision, and you just take all your facts. There's no emotions. There's no feelings in it. It's just pure data. Yes, Very few people make choices from pure data when they're asking questions or deciding what they're going to do with their life. They make choices from the experience point. The experience point is where you've taken facts, but then you go, oh, you know, I know somebody who who tried that before and they failed miserably, so I can't do that. Or the last time I tried X, I got hurt, or I burned my hand, or um, I I felt terrible, or I cried. Right. Or there's no way I can do that because I've always been told I'm a failure or I'm not pretty or I'm worthless. So they choose not to do things because of their past or the experience of other people around them. That's where most people make their choices from. I like to make choices from what I call the reality point, which is where you take all that data from the stock point all your experiences and the experiences of those around you from the experience point, and then you go, so what's what's the reality of it? If I take all that emotional stuff, all those experiences and all the facts, what's real for me now, this moment, Do I can I really succeed at doing that? I mean, what's stopping me? If what's stopping you is because something happened in the past, then you definitely want to challenge yourself to try it. Right, because and this brings this brings up something that's very important in the book, um, and that is how you explain how we're all on autopilot. Because somebody listening to this is going to say, "Well, that, that all sounds good, um, but I, I'm, I, you know, because of my um, ego or my, you know, self-doubt, I could still be asking the wrong questions." So, could you talk about um, what you explain in the book, which is our autopilot and why we need to touch on all these things, and that's especially reality. Sure. Uh, I like the analogy of the autopilot because I think most people have either 
watched a movie where a plane or a boat's on autopilot and something, you know, they, they crash because the autopilot can't see that there is a mountain in their way or um, they've been on cruise control on a highway and they don't have their foot on the brake and they're not paying attention and they hit a wall or a car in front of them that stopped short because when you're on autopilot, you're not paying attention to what's happening now. You set a course or a speed at some point in the past and you said, this is where I want to go and this is how I'm going to get there. Well, in my life, I don't have straight roads. Things curve. Right. And if you just live your life on autopilot, you're going to end up hitting walls. You're going to have missed some new openings that happen for you. I mean, my favorite example was with my business. Um, I had started my business after I got divorced. I had left corporate life. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to start my business. Okay, let's just move ahead with this. And I started landing more and more clients and more and more clients. And I ended up bringing on employees. And I said, okay, this has got to be what success is all about. So I just kept adding employees and I opened a second office and I made more money. I got press. Everything was great, right? You think this is perfect because I said, I'm going to start a successful business. Right. Nobody would uh, nobody would fault you for doing all that. Well, one day I woke up and realized I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't want to get out of bed any morning. I just didn't. And the phone would ring and I would cringe. And I loved my clients. And I loved my employees. But it wasn't where I wanted to be anymore, but I had set a course 15 years before that said I was going to run a business. And this is what the business is going to be, and I couldn't change that. Right. Well, the day that I realized I had been on autopilot, I said, do I have to keep doing this? What are my other options? I sold the company seven weeks later. Wow. It was amazing because I stopped being on autopilot and decided, well, what's right for me now? What was right for me 15 years ago isn't what's right for me now. It's the same thing when I ended up getting divorced the first time. Just because I said yes and got married didn't mean that I had to stay in that marriage, which was really horrible. I mean, it was really, really bad. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people that stay in marriages that are abusive, that stay in careers that don't feel, fulfill them. They may pay the bills, but they hate every moment of it, and they're miserable, and they make everybody around them miserable. Okay, so what is the reality litmus test? What is the reality limit? Lit- litmus test. Oh, the litmus test. Okay. Hm, you know, nobody's ever asked me that. That's a, that's a really great question, dude. <laughs> okay, so the reality litmus test would be you feel like you are directing where your life is going. And that doesn't mean that you have planned every single step, but what it means is are you choosing every day what you want to be doing with your life? Or is your life choosing you and directing you? 
No, that makes sense. And that's why you had that little snippet in there about really, 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 and this is what we started on, really, really, really liking your choice. And that comes from asking the right questions, correct? Yes, yes. Um, I'm so glad you, you mentioned that really, really, really. When I put it in there, I, I was like, do you think this will really work? <laughs> I, I use a, a test of for myself. When I'm about to do something, I go, do I really want to do it? And what I discovered was I may really want to do something, and I may really, really want to do something, but if I don't have the three reallys, if I don't really, really, really want to do it, then you know what? It's not going to serve my bigger purpose. I may really want a Starbucks hot chocolate because it's like my favorite treat special beverage, Mm -hmm. and I may really, really want it, but when I apply the three reallys test, I go, you know, I don't really, really, really want it because it's not going to make me feel great afterwards, and it's not going to serve my bigger goal of being healthy and having a a better life physically, because if I always went with, I really want a Starbucks hot chocolate, I'd probably have three or four a day. And that's kind of what you talk about in the book about are your answers serving you. (laughs) Right. Right. Because most people get an answer and they figure they have to just put into action whatever the answer is. You don't. When you're talking about the hot chocolate, it's uh, do I really want it? Yes, I really want it. It's going to taste great and it's going to be good. Well, do I really, really want it because it's, you know, because it's also it's going to taste great and everything, but it's also going to cost me money that I could use elsewhere. Or do I really, really want it? Well, I, I know it's going to taste good, but it's going to cost me money, and it's going to put on weight that I don't need. Moving on. <laughs> right. So, okay, I'm good now. And it only takes a, a few milliseconds, really, to go through that. We can call it the litmus test, Right. Right of whether the choices you're making are the ones that serve you the highest. Yeah, I really like that in the book. And another thing that I wanted to ask you about when I was reading the book, uh, um, this is this is a big one because most people, you know, we're told all the time, live your passion, find out what to and then it, and then whatever you're doing won't be a job. And, you know, I, I think that's really great for gurus to say and to throw out, and it makes us want to buy their books because we all want to, how, you know, live our bliss. But the, the reality is, going back to that reality word, is let's say that you really love, you've, you've asked all the right questions and now you're doing exactly the thing you want to do. Um, when we are doing the things we really want to do, that doesn't mean every piece of it is something we enjoy. Right. Okay? There's, uh, let's say that you really love dancing. Um, well, that's great, but maybe, maybe, Practicing four hours a day is, you know, you love to go out and dance and you love, you know, the spotlight and being on stage. But maybe you're not crazy about the four hours of practice a day that it takes, dancing. So um, I wanted to kind of touch on this a little bit so people don't get discouraged that because they don't like something, it's not their bliss and they need to move on. Because you talk about managing expectations uh, Mm. a couple times in the book, and I kind of wanted you to touch on that. Most of us don't manage our expectations we don't we just go i i'm doing this and i love dance therefore i must be a dancer 
Well, mm-hmm. well, why can't you just dance for enjoyment and say to yourself, um, I'm not going to be a prima ballerina, and I'm okay with that? <laughs> That's not where my my true skill set lies. Or, um, you know, I have a friend that is an amazing, amazing um, Qigong de-stress master. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we were talking, and he said that he wanted to be able to um, open acupuncture studios around the world to help people who have no access to healing. Mm-hmm. And he was going to give up all these other amazing things that he wants to do, which I discovered he has a wonderful talent for singing and being on stage, but he suppressed that because he felt he should be doing these other things that he has a passion for. Mm-hmm. And we spent like an hour on the phone talking, and I said to him, do you realize that you can be a super success at the things you love and have passion for and are really exceptional at, like with the singing and the being on stage and empowering people, and that can bring you enough money that you can fund other people to go to all these other third world nations and do this stuff? And there was dead silence on the other end of the phone, JW. Because he's like, no, I have to do it. And I'm like, why? You you go flat when you talk about the fact that you would actually have to do it, but when you talk about the other thing that you want to do, you have joy. And I said, your expectations for yourself are so high, you can never live up to your own expectations. Right. Isn't there another way that you can help this way? And and he realized there were like three or four or five other ways he could do that and reach even a greater number of people to help. And he, you know, it just led to this whole conversation about expectations because it's not only the expectations of yourself, it's what you expect from others. Right. And no, that, that makes sense. And, and it goes into the autopilot thing where sometimes what we do well is not necessarily our true passion. We do it well, so uh, we often, uh, like a leaf blowing in the wind, we allow life to take us down a path. Right. And uh, your book really talks to, you know, w- when you talk about asking the right questions, and, and whether it be in relationships or business, it really helps you, you know, I can see where it can really help you determine when something's a hobby that you're really going to enjoy doing as a hobby and, you know, when something is something that is, something you absolutely need to do to have to be fully fulfilled in your life. Right. I owned an IT company. IT was easy to me. I mean, I didn't even have to think about it. I have a degree in computer science with technical writing. I have my master's in, in management organizational behavior. I have master certified, you know, they've lapsed now, but I had master certified engineering certificates for Novell and, and Microsoft and I did Lotus and all this other stuff. And I didn't even have to think about it. I could look at a computer and know what was wrong with it. Mm-hmm. I could fix the software without even thinking. And, and that's how come for 15 years I ran an IT company. Right. Because it was easy. And, and I had a gift for it. But it wasn't where my passion was. And when I woke up that one morning and realized I was on this autopilot of, oh, I can do this, I know how to do this, this was great, I realized I didn't want to do it anymore. But what I loved doing 
was helping the business people and my friends and other people explore the real them and what really lit them up to find out how they can improve their businesses, how they can improve their lives. And that, for me, was eye-opening, that what was a hobby and turned into a business for me really showed me. And I love when people, I tell them, if there's something you really like doing, do it. You don't necessarily have to make a career out of it, but just do it because it may show you what your purpose is. And because of running that business and all the things I had done leading up to that, working for Corporate America, my book, What Would a Wise Woman Do, came out. Because people kept saying to me, you make great choices. And I'm like, really? You should see what I go through. And then I went, they don't see what I go through. They don't understand what it takes for me to get to the choices I make because they don't think through that process the same way. Yeah, I'm guessing this. a lot of this, when you decided on this book, um, you know, you had had successful business and, and, and done a lot of other things. Um, and this was the process that you used to, to be successful in business, be successful in particular projects that you were working on, and in becoming, in becoming a writer and, in, and enjoying that process. So um, kind of tell me, you know, what made you sit down and say, this is something I need to share with the world. I need to write a book about this. It was one of those moments in your life when you're at a crossroads. Right. And the company that bought my company, my contract had ended with them. And I was trying to decide, okay, my contract's going to end at the end of the month. I had offers as soon as people heard that I was going to be done with my responsibilities after selling my company. They all want, I had all these vendors and other people that wanted to hire me, and I, I said, you know what, take a minute, Laura, and think. What do you really want to do? So I started asking them why they wanted to hire me. And they're all like, you know what, you just seem to be able to cut through the issues and clear the fog, and we feel that you can really help us get our businesses to the next level. And I said, okay, that's very flattering, really wonderful, and I asked them why they thought I could help them do that with their businesses or help them create communities of of raving fans and all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. And I decided that I could help one person at a time or I could try to help a greater number of people and get them thinking for themselves and not necessarily needing high-priced consultants to come in and help them. Yes, it's nice to have people that can help you focus, but what if I could put down in writing my thought processes so that people who may not have access to it or may not have the funds can begin to help themselves? And I decided that that was something I really wanted to do with my life, was to be able to help a greater number of people, as I had been helped my entire life. Mm -hmm. And I had been helped a lot by books and by people way smarter than me. And that's where the what would a wise woman do came in because that's one of the questions I ask myself all the time. (laughs) Sometimes I actually use the words what would a wise woman do. Other times it will be what would someone wiser than me do in this situation. That's a great question to ask. And, you know, I think the whole book is really about 
you know, if somebody's looking to say, well, why should I get this book? Why, why, what, what do I need? Why do I need to read this book? And what do I need? What am I going to get from this book? I really, my thought is that it comes down to clarity. By, by asking all these questions, and you have one part in the book where you go through just a myriad of questions for all sorts of, um, you know, for all kinds of things in your life. And if you were to sit down and just answer all those questions, you'd be so much more clear on who you were, what you need to do, why you needed to do it, in a, and, and what you're doing now, and is, this, is it serving you? It, it would just clarify all that stuff. So this, I think, is an important book for somebody, and there's a lot of us running around, uh, like you say, on autopilot, just doing what we do because we, we're because we do it because we're there. You know, we're in the bank job because those are the that's, that's the guy who hired us. <laughs> you know. And sometimes it literally is that you're don't know what you want to do, and somebody goes, "Well, come work for me." So right. you start a job, and 20 years later, you wake up and go, "What have I been doing for 20 years?" Yeah, how did I get into banking? How did my career become banking when what I really wanted to do was be a dancer? Yeah. And, you know, I've had that happen to me when I was kind of unsatisfied in one of my corporate jobs. And I said, oh, let me look at some different careers. So I started applying for, like, nonprofit jobs and all these other things, thinking I should try this or do that because I had some some passion for helping. Mm-hmm. And I'm in one interview, and the guy looks at me, and it was a nonprofit related to the um, Long Island Sound. And the guy looks at me, and he said, you are so overqualified for this job. You will be bored stiff in a month. Not to mention the salary I can offer you is like an eighth of what you are making. Right. So why do you want this job? And... I couldn't answer him. <laughs> and finally, I just sat there and I looked at him and I said, well, because I want to give back, you know, and, and I believe in your cause. And he goes, fine, join our board. <laughs> there you go. And he's like, you could do way more for us there the than you could for us working here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, and I ended up joining their board and, and did a lot of really great things for them and stuff. And I was like, Yeah. I, I could have taken this other job just because it was like, oh, okay, yeah, all right, well, maybe I should. And he hired me in a heartbeat. Right. Because to get somebody at my skill level, as he said, who was willing to work for, like, this crazy low salary, he thought would be exceptional. But he also, thank God, recognized that I had way more to offer. Unfortunately, not everybody gets somebody like that when they're that in an interview. Right go and say, sorry, we can't t- this is not for you, and then you would move on. Right. Yeah. So do you agree with me that your book is really about clarity and getting this clarification? Because I, I didn't want to answer for you. Yeah, I would. I would I would agree with you with that. It, it's definitely about getting clarity. Okay. And so... Um, for you. You know what I mean? Right, absolutely. Because it's very unique. Every single person that reads my book and does the exercises will get a different perspective and answer. There's no one right question or right answer. It's very unique. No, that, that makes sense. sense. Oh, okay. absolutely. You know, we're all different, and you you kind of touched on it earlier, where you know everybody does stuff because other people do it, or because they were told that's what they're supposed to do, or. 
and you know we're all very unique and uh a book like this i i you know at first when i was reading it i didn't i wasn't quite understanding it and then as i got into it i realized wow this is really powerful and i read a lot of really powerful books as you know um when i'm because i interview a lot of the thought leaders that write these powerful books and but i really got into this because i was so used to using those kind of questions on my job in IT and not taking them to the rest of my not taking them over to the rest of my life and it's like you know i know how to divide and conquer and find problems in electronics and computers but why haven't i ever taken those kind of principles and used them on my own life i you know <laughs> i tend to jump into things and move right and uh this book brought a lot of clarity to me too so um i was very happy to get the chance to sit down and read it and uh um I understand why it's uh, become a number one bestseller and why people are are just going crazy over this thing. Well, I I have to thank you so much. I feel very honored and, and humbled JW because I I know what you read and and how you think and that is the greatest compliment you can ever give me. So thank you. Oh, uh, my pleasure. So tell me about maybe when you when you think about it, what kind of what kind of people should be reading this book? Now I think everybody, but uh, who, is, who are you addressing specifically? Who should who should who needs really needs to go get this book right now? Oh, well, obviously everyone, as you said. But <laughs> yeah. If you are feeling you, your life is not going forward fast mm-hmm. enough or well enough, or you just feel stuck, you should go get the book and just read the first three chapters. If you read nothing more, you read the intro and the first three chapters. I really, truly believe, and I don't know what you feel after having read the book, J.W., that those first chapters will start shifting things for you. Because one of the biggest things I talk about in the opening chapters is, are you questioning your questions? Right. Most of us don't. We just ask a question, throw it out there, and go on to the next question. We don't think about what we're asking. We don't even realize we're asking questions. We just no, no. go on, go on, and do things. No, you you kind of wrote, you wrote this book right, and and that is because in the first three chapters, like you said, you really get into the nitty gritty and explain what it's all about, and what you're talking about, and that was uh, part of my that was my favorite part of the book. And, and let me kind of equate it to what I usually do. People, I'm one of those guys that uh, everybody goes, oh, you can fix my computer, you can fix my TV, you know how to run all this electronic gizmos, you're you're a true geek and you know all this stuff. But here's the truth. I don't know anything. Okay? Um, yes, I, I, I... Well, that's not I, true, but okay. <laughs> I was an engineer and, you know, and I fixed computers and everything. But the reason I was able to do everything is because, you know the little book that comes with your gizmo? <laughs> I was always the guy who read at least the first ten pages of the book. Okay? When I got a new DVD player, I wrote, read the first ten pages and then I knew every stupid thing about this DVD. I didn't have to read the whole book, just read the first, you know, few pages, and now I'm the resident genius on this thing. And I tell people that all the time. Listen, if you just read the first few pages of this thing, you're going to be you're going to you're going to be able to do just as well as I did. I'm not special. I'm not smarter than anybody. I just read the stupid book, all right? <laughs> I, I, I hit on this all the time. And it's so you true. Have to, 
when I say you wrote it right is because you explain everything up front. Now, then you took all the rest of the chapters and you broke it down. Okay, now here how, here's how it works in relationships. Here's how it works in business. Here's how it works when you're dealing with kids. This is how, what it works when you're dealing with your faith. And so at that point, I'm pretty ADHD. I love that because I don't have to go read in succession. I know it reads well linear, linearly from page one to the end, but I can just go, I want to find out about business, and if I've got the first three chapters down, now I've got the great foundation to be able to read the thing on business and skip the thing on relationship and get the point. Does that make sense? Right, and that's exactly how I designed the book, because we're not all at the same point in our lives. I have high schools interested in this book for their student body. I have colleges. I have some senior groups interested in this book. They're all at different points in their lives. Mm-hmm. They may not care about business, or it may not be entering their mind yet, but maybe relationships are, or maybe they're dealing with some family health crises or personal health crises. Mm-hmm. So why not give them some some meat and examples around that that they can jump to at that point? Because I want people to read this book for years. I don't want them to just read it once and put it on the bookshelves. I want them to be able to go back to it and say, oh, I'm having a faith issue. I'm not sure what to ask. Wait, Laura wrote about that. Let me just grab that one chapter. Right. And and start thinking again about thinking and asking questions. So that was the idea. So I, I love that you love that. Oh, well, that's great. And when you're asking questions, everybody, make sure those questions make you uncomfortable. If, if they don't, you're not asking the right questions. <laughs> exactly. I love that. Uh, this is J.W. Najarian with On Purpose Magazine, and I'm speaking today with Laura Stewart Atchison. Um, her book is the number one bestseller at Amazon, What Would a Wise Woman Do? Questions to Ask Along the Way. This is for men, too, so... Uh, I think uh, men in business are going to get a lot of, you know, the business section if that's what you're interested in, but there's uh, relate, the relationship sections and, and many others are very apropos for just getting our lives in order and, and living our, the best lives that we can. Um, Laura, I'm going to give you uh, – wait, hold on a second. I'm, I'm not going to go there yet because since you're a best-selling author, you know I have a lot of authors that uh, listen, to, you know, listen to my podcasts. Right. And whenever I get a chance to get a bestseller on, I want to talk about the writing process a little bit and sure. kind of help some of these uh, fledgling authors or even, you know, authors that have been doing it for a while get a little more success. It's a tough gig out there. Um, people have heard on my podcast many times I talk about what I find is the central thread of issues with writers and authors is that they think the book's going to be hard to write until it, got, until it gets written. And then they think, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh, how am I going to publish this? This is, oh, my God, this is a huge thing. And then they get the book in hand, and then they realize they've just started the journey uh, with promotion and marketing. Right. And since a bestseller usually has uh, hit on all cylinders in some degree, I wanted to kind of sit down with you and talk about um, the book writing process. First of all, was writing the book, publishing the book, or is the marketing the hardest part for you? At the time I hit each level, it was the hardest. <laughs> um, writing the book was a a total challenge. 
getting that first word onto paper mm-hmm. until I realized that I was asking myself the wrong questions around the book and, and what I wanted the book to achieve. Mm-hmm. So I asked myself, number one, why do I want to write this book? But bigger than that, what, how do I want people to feel as they're reading the book? And once I realized that I wanted people to feel that there was a possibility of something different for their lives, the words started to flow a lot easier. But then I couldn't seem to write. And I felt that I had to write in my wonderful office that I had that, you know, I had reconfigured and done after I told the IT company. Um, I turned my home office into my writing studio, repainted, did all that wonderful stuff, and I couldn't write. But I felt I had to write there. And finally one day I said to myself, wait a minute, why do I feel I have to write here? And it was, oh, well, you know, you always hear about all these authors that lock themselves in a room and they, they just write until they're done and the book is finished. And I said, well, that doesn't have to be me because I don't do things the same way everybody else does. So I got a laptop and I went down to this park that looks out along the intercoastal river where dolphins tend to frolic, literally frolic and play constantly. Mm-hmm. And I sat at a picnic bench under a tiki hut because I live in Florida, so it's beautiful there. And I sat down, opened the laptop up, and I cranked out two chapters in like two hours. Wow. And I had sat for weeks in front of a computer screen in my office trying to work. <laughs> so for all of the authors that are at that stage of, I have a book in me and I want to get it out, change your location. Go someplace that inspires you. Because you're trying to inspire other people with your words. And if you're not feeling inspired when you're writing, it could literally be because of where you're trying to write. No, that's that's really big. I used to write music, and uh, I remember sitting in my house for two years, not coming up with anything. And uh, I had a recorder, and it was just garbage, garbage, garbage. And I, I I started to think maybe I don't know how to write music. And then a friend of mine gave me a beach place. You know, they were taken off and needed their cats watched, and they had mm-hmm. a place at the Malibu Beach nice. uh, up on the hill. And I said, oh, sure, I'll watch your house and your cats. I turn that, <laughs> that offer down. So I spent, they had this beautiful, uh, live, huge living room with a grand piano sitting there and a lot of space for me to set up my guitars and amps and stuff. And I just sat in front of that big picture window and I did uh, like eight songs in like three days. And they were, you know, they were great. I thought they were great, you know. I uh-huh. really, they never came out or anything, but uh, <laughs> I just, I totally can feel what you're talking about. Well, I think you need to try to get those songs out. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, I don't know about that. But. Hey, you can record them on YouTube now, JW. That's true. I should go find them somewhere. Yeah, you should and record them. I think it would be amazing. It would probably be I this massive YouTube out. music hit. I do have a CD out, and maybe I'll put that up. I think that would be cool. All my co-writing stuff. I think that would be um, great. This, uh, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> I love music, but I don't think it was my vocation. I'm one of those guys that uh, probably if I went to American Idol, they'd go, yeah, you know, is there is there other things you can do? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, long story short, I totally understand what you're talking about. So now you get your book written. Um, 
publishing, you went with Morgan James, our good, great friend, Rick Frischman. Um, yes, absolutely. What a wonderful, there. wonderful man. Him and He and David Hancock, just exceptional people. Yeah, and by the way, uh, this will be out in time. Uh, I'm going to be at Author 101 in March. I usually go to the Author 101 when it comes to Los Angeles, and I'm not sure if you'll be there or not. But um, I will be speaking. I'm on stage. There you go. So yeah. I will see you. Wonderful. How cool is that? I'll see you there. And I'm actually opening the event. Go to author101university.com. I think that's what it is. Author101university.com, yes. There you go. And uh, you, you need to come to this thing. You'll get to meet me. You'll get to meet Laura. You'll get to meet Rick. You'll get to meet tons of, uh, what, what, they have agents. They've got book stewards. They've got, you, you name it, they've got them there. Yeah, they've got editors. They've got ghostwriters. They've got internet marketing people, they've got publicity people. Uh, there's two opportunities to actually meet agents mm-hmm. and pitch and meet publishers as well and pitch your books to them. Right. Plus the people that you meet in the room sitting next to you could be somebody that will launch your career. Right. I mean, JW and I met at one, and, you know, I have just have loved you ever since I met you. I, I follow you on all the social media, and, you know, I we've corresponded back and forth. And here we are a year and a half later, and you're interviewing me. There you know, you who knew that that was going to happen? But you never know who you're going to meet in the room. Well, you knew it was going to happen because you knew you were going to get this darn book out. I can't <laughs> <laughs> well, and what's really funny is... I kind of went through things a little backwards with my process. So I hadn't written a single word of the book when I met my publisher. Right. I had an idea. I had a title and an idea when I met David Hancock and Rick Frischman at an event. And I'm at the event. And the reason I was at Brendan Burchard's Experts Academy event was because I knew I didn't know the right questions to ask to get my book published mm-hmm. or to even write a book. Uh, I, I knew I could write, but I didn't know what that meant as a business because writing is a business. Thank you. you. Know, yeah, that's important to know. If Talk you about managing if, expectations. A lot of, you know, a lot, I talk to authors all the time, and they have a really hard time get grass, coming up with, Uh, or or grasping the whole promotions and marketing thing. I'm a writer. I like to write. My passion is writing. I'm a good writer. I can put great stuff out. But you write something great and put put it out on a website, no one will come. That's the issue. And so the marketing and uh, promotions is important. And if you don't wrap around your head, if you don't wrap your head around that before you get your book written, because a lot of the promotions that you do are before you get your book actually published, is it not? Yeah, it, it totally is because actually getting an agent and a publisher is all about promotion. You can have written the most incredible book in the world, mm-hmm. but if you don't know how to promote it, it's never going to get published. Although nowadays with Amazon and CreateSpace and all the self-publishing venues, you can just get it published. You can but get just it published. posting it up there doesn't mean anybody's going to buy it. I talk to uh, published authors all day long that uh, haven't sold more than a couple books. So, and it's mainly because they're not they they don't understand or again they don't grasp the whole marketing pub, promoting thing. And then they then they kind of figure it out and they start a little late in the game um, and really don't know how how do I use social media? How do I do this? How do I do that? Uh, so it can be daunting. And um, well, maybe you should talk about because your your book. 
actually uh, went up pretty pretty quickly and uh, amazingly <laughs> uh, to bestseller list, did it not? It did, it did, and I didn't even realize it was available for sale yet. <laughs> When I discovered that um, I was on the bestseller list. Wow. And it was just one of those random on Thanksgiving Day when I didn't even realize my book was for sale yet that I went up because, you know, it's one of those things on Thanksgiving you try to think of what you're thankful for. Mm-hmm. And I knew that my book was up on Amazon not and on Barnes & Noble and iTunes and some other places, but it had been strictly um, coming soon because yeah, December 18th was right. my launch date. Right. And I, I went up just to say I'm grateful for the ability to see my book up here. And I pull up the book and it said I was number 55 in my category on the bestseller list. Wow. And I went, what? You know, and and I started looking at it, and people had been reviewing my book. People that I had given some advanced copies to had actually posted reviews of what they thought of my book. Mm-hmm. And that seemed to keep happening. And then I said, okay, I need to encourage people to review my book. Mm-hmm. And I got... 22 people so far who have given me four- and five-star reviews. Some of them are multiple-paragraph-long reviews of my book. And I'm getting reviews from people who have been buying my book on Amazon. I got somebody, a woman from Australia, downloaded my book on the Kindle because somebody I met in an event told her list they should consider getting my book and why. She downloads the book. The next morning, she posts up on Facebook and in all these social media avenues that my book changed her life. She had started reading it, woke up in the middle of the night with all these new questions about problems she was having that she couldn't seem to move forward from. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, she knew how to start writing her book, get past the problems she had in her business, and, and change some other stuff that was going on. Because she had written my book, and she posted it up on Facebook, a woman in Australia. Wow. That's amazing, because not only is it great for your book sale, but it's really good for your ego. Yeah, and... Make it all worth it. Why did I write this book? Well, because of people like that. Right, because remember when I said I was having trouble writing my book, mm-hmm. and I finally asked my questions of what do I want to achieve with this book? How do I want people to feel? I wanted people to feel inspired and to have hope that they can make the changes in their in their lives. Right. I got exactly that from what I read in these reviews, these social media posts, all of that. I achieved my goal. No, that's great. So when you're writing, I think it's so critical as an author to understand how you want people to feel when they're reading your book and what you want them to leave with, like a call to action. If you're writing a nonfiction book, if you're writing a fiction book, it's a completely different animal. Absolutely. Let's go back to Morgan James, your publisher. Um, Not to give them more press, but they're a good company, so I don't mind. Um, 
there are pay, you know you have ebooks you can have self publishing you can have publish on demand they're a publishing house and a publishing house takes care of getting the book published and getting all your numbers for the you know library of congress they make sure that you're a kindle edition they make they, they take care of all those things for you including the book so, cover i'm sorry including the book cover and interior layout right so i mean they're they're it's so we we can assume that it's best if you got for the most part that it's best if you get picked up by a house in morgan james uh, particular case and in many publishers case they do a pay to play deal uh, is that correct no there well i guess it is pay to play in that you have to agree to buy 2500 books and you have to pay them two dollars a book in advance. Right. Okay. But that's and that's not for sales. That's for your use. Right? That's for my use. I can sell them at the back of a room. So if I'm having an event, I can sell those books for whatever I want. Right. You at the back room really sale. Cost. Uh-huh. Yeah. I I can't sell them to a bookstore or any other place because Morgan James places them in bookstores and sells them into bookstores and mm-hmm. those kind of outlets. Um, but I can use them for my own use. So, and you don't have to buy them all in one day. You have to give them $5,000 when you sign the contract. That's your commitment that you're going to produce a book and, and do something with your book. Right. But it's like 70 years you have to actually take custody of those books. And then you pay the print charges and shipping charges to get them. So I bought... Um, some books when my book went to print, and I paid about an additional $2.31 for the book plus shipping. Mm-hmm. So I think my total cost to get some books sent to me is a $17.95 cover price. Mm-hmm. I paid about $6 a book, Five, $5, maybe $5 a book. Mm-hmm. Which is significantly cheaper than the than even buying it on Amazon for me, so I'm able to use them for sending out to media, sending out pre advanced copies to people to review, um, some press stuff, those kind of things. Right, and this is talk about managing expectations again. One of the things I, I got a feeling that you're, if I ask you the question, okay, so you had to come up with five thousand dollars to get this started. Would you do that again? Because I, I'm, I'm guessing. For most writers, publishers aren't knocking down their door to, to publish their books. So this is this is pretty standard fare, correct? It is very standard fare, and Morgan James is more reasonable than a number of other mid-tier or full-tier like Random House publishing companies. I know of authors who got major book deals with the more common shall we say, book publishers, you know, Hay House, Random House, um, Simon & Schuster, Wiley, and they had to agree to pay for, in some cases, 5,000 books or more, Mm -hmm. and not at $2 plus a little bit. Some of these people have paid $20,000. Right. And you don't always get an advance from a publisher. No, an advance is people don't know don't always know this. It's called an advance for a reason. If a publisher gives you an advance, what it is, it's a check 
for monies against sales. So right. this is not free money in your pocket. If your book doesn't sell, you owe that money back. I, I was, I'm amazed how many people don't understand that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I got this great advance. Okay, but you realize you won't receive another royalty till that's paid back. And if your book doesn't do well, they can ask you for the money back. Well, they can, and they often do. Yeah. And you have to you have to purchase at least, like you said, you have to purchase so many books. So you know, there's no there's no free there's no free lunch here. No. But we you have to be willing you, to commit. Yeah, because there's a. I just understand that I understood that the New York Times just um, did an interview. Oh, I wish I remembered the book title, but they just did a review on a self-published book. This is rare, and so I'm not gonna. I don't want to bag on self-publishing. Um, or uh, ebooks, and if you go to Author 101, I know they 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 have self-publishing places. You can self-publish there. Amazon has a great program. There's a lot of great programs out there. But all the authors I talk to, most of them agree that self-publishing. You have to know. You have to ask these right questions. If you're writing a book, and you, you please tell me and stop me if I'm wrong. If you're writing a book to be a calling card to get speaking engagements. You're going to want to publish on demand or self-publish that book. But if you're writing a book that you want to actually be sold and 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 and, and do well and be a you know, it's better to have a publishing house. Am I am I way off or? I would agree with you 100. percent Although all the self-published people say, oh, there's no difference in credibility from self-publishing to traditional publishing. So then here's my response to that. Then how come every self-published author that made it? was blessing the day that the traditional publishing came knocking at their door and said, we want to republish your book under our name. Right. If it was had the same level of respect and credibility, they'd go, no, I'm making tons of money. Why do I need you? No, that's true. You know, and another thing that uh, authors don't understand that I like to try to get out, um, and I've had several uh, interviews, we've talked about this, and that is, if you've written a book and you did everything wrong, you're publishing on demand, you haven't sold more than you know a couple copies to your mom and your children or your husband, uh, and you start realizing uh, that there's a promotional path and a marketing path, including social media and speaking and you know getting on TV shows, radio shows, sending you know doing all the things that you talked about, getting your book out, book, sending books out to people in advance and doing advanced promotions before your book comes out so that you open it, number one. Um, if you all of a sudden you get your, your mind around that and you start realizing that that's what you want to do, you don't have to go, well, now I need to write another book so I can start that process. You can take the book that you have and republish. Is that correct? You can. Now, if your book fails miserably... It's going to be very hard to get a publisher interested in you. Well, I would say it could be because if you're going to go to somebody like Morgan James and you're going to go through the whole rigmarole, they're going to they're going to talk to you about well, how what did you do to get this book out? And if you say I didn't do anything, you know, there's no harm, no foul. I I think. Well, well, there is a little bit in that they're wondering if you're going to do something different with them. Oh, I see. Well, how much promotions did you have to do as opposed to what they helped you with? They don't do anything. Okay. It's rare for a publishing house to do anything for you. What Morgan James will do is get your book 
up and put in all the online communities, they will, their sales force will talk to the independent booksellers and the other brick and mortar booksellers mm -hmm. to get it out. They use Ingram Distribution, um, Ingram Publishing that prints the books and, and ships them and their sales teams go out and put it there. They talk up your book, right. but in terms of promotion, what Morgan James does for you is teaches you how to promote your book if you don't know how to do it. Author One, uh, one University is an amazing education in book promotion. That's, that's true. It's funny because I hear different stories from publishing houses. Well, yeah, we help with promotions. And let me just, and so that's why I put it that way. But let me just say this about publishing house promotions. You know, um, Nowadays, it's very it's hard for these houses to keep up with social media and all that kind of stuff. So you really do have to take, even if they were able to do some stuff for you, you really do need to take the horns, uh, you know, the reins. What's the saying? Take the bull by the reins? Take the bull by the horns. Take, yeah, I knew it was one of those. <laughs> <laughs> take the bull by the horns. There you go. Yeah. And, and, and take it upon yourself. So I, I get what you're saying. If you're... If they see that you're not able to promote or you don't know how or you're not going to, uh, that would be kind of dumb for them to put all that power behind you, right? Yeah, and um, we didn't talk about book proposals, but okay. I put together a book proposal to get my final contract with Morgan James. They were interested in me before I had written a word of my book, so they said, we need a book proposal from you. And part of the book proposal is a whole promotion section on what you're planning on doing and what you bring to the table. Mm. And it's not just Morgan James that requires that. It's every publisher and every agent out there wants to know what you bring to the table. What is your platform? Who do you know? And, and do you have a marketing plan? It's a business. Right. You don't have a business without a marketing plan. Don't expect to launch a book without a marketing plan and a business plan on how you expect it to be successful. They'll help support your efforts. Like Morgan James has different Facebook communities. Um, they have a, a newspaper that goes out. They have their web presence. They have a speakers group. They have a bunch of other things. And they will promote you there as well. But you have to foster it. You have to go get interviews. You have to go talk to the press. You need to send emails. Right. I walked into my local independent bookstore to set up book signings. No, that's and, exactly. And walked into my local newspaper and said, "Hey, here I am." Travel, start calling up radio stations in, in the town they're going to, and, right. uh, and bookstores, and saying, "I'm available to sign copies. I'm available to speak on your radio show. I'm available for your TV show. Whatever." And yeah. These people are hungry for for content, so. <laughs> It's not that difficult to get into these places. Right. And, I mean, JW, you interview regularly. You know how hard it is to find good content. No, it, it is. One, one of the things, because I'd like to uh, – good content is uh, – that's kind of the name of the game. You know, um, you can have good content and not sell anything, and you can have uh, – you could have a great book that, that, you know, gets a lot of press, but if it's not good, it's not going to sustain so um, definitely have to have the content down. But, you know, I have a um, contest on my site, a book author contest. And 
because of the promotions aspect of everything, I hold it a little differently. I just say, listen, put your book in the contest, um, but here's the deal. I don't read the book, and I assume that if you think it's genius and brilliant, that it is. What I ask you to do is write down in 150 words or less what your backstory is. That's what I'm looking at when I uh, pick a contest winner, and that is I'm trying to help the author set up the first point of promotions, and that is who am I, why did I write this book, who would really get a lot out of this book, who am I, who am I selling to, and, um, you know, and just get the whole backstory because people don't read a book because the cover looks cool and the title is cool usually. They read it because they have found something out about why the book was written and who the author is. People get interested in uh, the story behind the book. They connect it. Right. And I figure if I can get an author to get thinking in that direction and get their backstory down, they have the foundation to move to the next form of promotion, which is getting down and making those phone calls and getting out there. Because once you have that backstory, you can go anywhere and talk about it. You can, you know, obviously we can talk about our books, but most people aren't interested in your book as much as they're interested in you and your book. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. I mean, when Morgan James decided to sign me, mm-hmm. and then they said, oh, we have a formality. We'd like to see what you've written. <laughs> and I'm like, you're, you want to sign me without having written? They said, well, we're not going to send you the contract until we've seen the book. But they said 80% of what makes an author successful is their story and how well they can present it. Thank you so much for saying that because it's so hard to convey that out to, to authors that really think that their writing should sell, should should be the forefront of their selling or that their book title or the cool picture on front, you know, I, it, they really think that it's one of those things you build that they will come, and it just doesn't happen. Um, you, really, you went out there and you made, you talked to people. Like you said, you found out that by getting these reviews that your book starts moving up the, the chart. So you went out there and actively talk to people about moving your book up. You sent books out to people, and you started uh, doing interviews, right? Right, and I just said to people, look, just if you're willing to write a review, just tell what stuck out for you. What was the one thing? I don't want you to just post a review to post a review for me, because I had people that wanted to do that, and they wouldn't even read the book. I said, I only want you up there if you've read my book. Right. Because people can tell when a review is fake. Yeah. I really like Laura. She's really nice. Yeah. I'm sure she wrote a good book. <laughs> and, or they've only read the, the back cover. Right. Um, and I have a funny story about the back cover, which I think is, it would be really great for prospective authors. You know, every back cover of a book typically has quotes from people who are extolling the virtues of the book. Typically, some high-powered people, right? And you, people look at the front cover, and then they immediately turn to the back of a book right. when they're in a bookstore. And they read the back and go, oh, so-and-so really talks great about this book. Oh, okay, I, I must read this book. And when I got to the point of designing um, the cover and the back cover, and I had to send some stuff out to Morgan James, I realized that I didn't have, my forward was written by J. Conrad Levinson, so I had a big name on the front of the book, which was powerful for me because in college I had read his guerrilla marketing book when it had first come out. Before guerrilla marketing was a major term, he had written that book and it 
launched him and the whole idea of underground marketing kind of stuff, marketing without paying. And that's a coup in itself because Jay Conrad, I've spoke to him myself and interviewed him, and he's the nicest guy in the world. But he is, it isn't easy to get Jay Conrad to write you a forward. No. And I'm, I'm very grateful for those opportunities that have presented themselves. But anyway, go ahead on your story here. I apologize. No, no, it's okay. I, I just love Jay. I think he's amazing. And he only lives like a couple of hours from me. And I still haven't met him. I've talked to him. <laughs> I've never met him. Um, so I'm trying to decide what to put on the back of the book. And everyone's like, well, you have to get these quotes and everything. And I, I was like, you know, that just doesn't fit me. On the interior front of the book, I had advanced acclaim from some other authors and some people that I had been able to help or that had read the book that felt it was really powerful. But I didn't want to put it on the back cover. But everybody said that's what you had to do because that's the way it's always been done. Right. So, I'm one of those people. I'm the back cover right now, and I, and I know what you're saying because we, you, you actually got a hold of Cleopatra and Betty Ross. Yeah, and Joan of Arc. Oh, and Amelia Earhart all, all had something to say about your book. How wonderful. Yeah, and, and don't forget the beheaded wives of Henry VIII. Yeah, well, that must have been a tough one to get. It really was, you know, I, but I decided that if I only had their heads, it was fine. I, they, that would be the part that would talk to me. Right. And, you know, I, I said, why do I have to do it just because that's the way it's always been done? My book is all about not doing things the same way all the time. Right. So I decided to try something completely different. And I have to really thank Ellen DeGeneres for that. Oh, why? Because I couldn't figure out what I could do on the back of the book. I was stuck on that I had to do these traditional style quotes. And I'm like, there's got to be a better way. So I just kind of put out there, okay, God, there's got to be a better way. I don't know what to ask, so just let me know. And I go to the library, and Ellen DeGeneres had come out with her uh, most recent book was Seriously, No, I'm Kidding. Mm-hmm. And they had it at the library. I'm like, oh, this is so cool. Let me let me grab her book. And I did what I always do when I get pick up a book like that. I went right to the back cover to look at it. And she had the most hysterical, hysterical things on the back cover. <laughs> she was doing totally absurd things like... Um, I think one of them was, oh, look at you, you beautiful reader, looking at my back book cover. That <laughs> sounds like Ellen. Yeah. And it was totally Ellen, and she was totally herself. And I went, all right, I'm not Ellen, but I'm me. So what works for me being completely different? And I said, wouldn't it be fun to do quotes from famous dead women from history that were known for amazing things, but they had they made one fatal decision, right? They made one fatal choice. Marrying Henry VIII. Right. <laughs> so I made up some quotes related to that. No, they're cute. They're really cute. You have to get this book just to read them. I won't read any of them because, because you need to get the book. Um, I'm thinking about actually holding a contest on my website for people to come up with new quotes. <laughs> there you go. And then um, have some sort of gift for whoever comes up, you know, like with the best quote. And this way I can gather a whole series of, of fun historical women from from history. And I, I'm even open to some men if people had some great ideas about men um, <laughs> in history. Because it, it gets you to think differently. Yeah, well, 
you know, I think that you've got it. I think you've got it down. I, you know, you, you when you first called me and we were talking, you said, "Oh, you want to interview me?" And I said, "You're a best-selling author. Of course, I want to." <laughs> you know, you're so humble, and I so appreciate it. Um, the book's great. Uh, you're great. You're you you are the person that should have written this book, and you did such a great job at it. Um, Thank you. Again, the book is. Um, what Would a Wise Woman Do by Laura Stewart Atchison? Questions to ask along the way. Uh, Laura, I want to thank you very much, and I do want to give you the last word today as we close up here. So um, could you go ahead and just kind of let us, you know, tell everybody why they need to get the book or what, you know, or, or how, whatever you feel like saying that would uh, help people understand why they really need to read the book or how this might help them. Okay. This book was, was so important to me because asking questions made my life so different when I asked the right questions that opened more doors of possibility. So if you are in a place in your life where you feel like you keep beating your head up against the same walls all the time, you may take a bunch of steps forward, but then you have to take three more steps back and then jog left or right and then cut around another corner in order to get around that door, and then you keep hitting another door and you have to do the same thing all over again. I encourage people to get my book. And even if you just read the first portion of the book, the intro to Chapter 3, and go through the questions that I propose out there, which are like, are you questioning your own questions? Are you, you know, is the answer serving you? Um, I think it will really make a difference for you. And you can, you know, your your listeners can reach out to me, to Laura at whatwouldawisewomando.com if they have a question, and I'm happy. Just tell them to just write on the email, I listened to your interview with JW, and I have a question. And I'm happy to answer for them oh, any way that I can. And I also have a um, workbook that I'm working on, a companion guide, mm-hmm. to take some through some exercises. And that's if somebody would like that, it's going to be available on the What Would a Wise Woman Do website, and they can click on the link and um, just mention you. And I will give them um, some free exercises that maybe will help them get some greater clarity in their life. Oh, that's incredible. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, Laura. No problem. And, like, the one parting thought that I really want people to get is that the right questions really, really, really can change their lives. We've been speaking to Laura Stewart Atchison. Uh, Her book, What Would a Wise Woman Do? Questions to Ask Along the Way. Um, Was forward by J. Conrad Levinson. And you can pick it up at Amazon or at... You can go to whatwouldawisewomando.com and uh, check it out there and um, get involved, get the book, read at least the first three chapters, get a hold of Laura. Laura, I know that after you read this book, you're going to want to you're going to want to get in touch with her. She's a, an awesome lady, and I, you know, I really want to say I appreciate not only you coming on today, Laura, but uh, I also appreciate the book, and I appreciate all the times that we get to to sit down and talk. It's always always been great, so I really appreciate you. Uh, same here. I'm looking forward to seeing you in March. There, yeah, I did, that's right. You're speaking. So uh, Author 101 in March, uh, it's going to be, oh, I'm not, it's not at the West End. Mar- March 7th to 10th in L.A. Oh, yeah. 
So go to the site and find out where it's going to be. I think these changed hotels this year. So I think it's at the LAX Radisson. Oh, okay. Well, that's a great yeah. place. Yeah, and the room rates are only like $109. Oh, sweet. So get on there before they get lost or they don't have any more of those. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and um, if they sign up, they get to bring a guest for free. Oh, really? Wow. That's yeah. Cool. There you go. So, yeah, come, come and watch uh, Laura speak and, and meet her in person. And myself, too. I'll be there. And if you're an author, um, what I usually do at the event is I like to bring my uh, video camera, and uh, I pick a few authors uh, from the crowd um, that have some great books, and we do some video interviews with them, which is kind of cool, just fun for them. And very, very cool. Yeah, I usually charge for that stuff. So. <laughs> yeah, I watched you do that when I first met you, and I was like, oh, one day that will be me. <laughs> You gotta have dreams, right, JW? See you this time, so that'd be fun. Yeah, that would be great. Anyway, I'll, I, I'm gonna go ahead and close up this. We, it's been a, it's been a nice long interview with so much great information. Thank you so much, Laura. Thank you, JW. My pleasure. Everybody, please have a wonderful day and an even better tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our Meta Media Group production of On Purpose Magazine. You can find On Purpose Magazine at onpurposemagazine.com. On Purpose Magazine and JW On Purpose is the property and is a trademark of Meta Media Group, and this audio is copyright 2012, and all rights are reserved.